anarchism and social philosophy which aims at the emancipation, economic, social, political, and spiritual of the human race. Anarchism is not bombs, disorder, or chaos. It is not robbery or murder. It is not a war of each against all. Anarchism is the very opposite of all that. Find out for yourself. Tune into Subversion 1312. Live, Tuesdays, 9 to 10 p.m. on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM or streaming 4ZZZ.org.au. Podcasts and related content available at subversion1312.org and channelzeronetwork.com. Conclusion? We stand for anarchy, anti-capitalism, anti-racism, anti-authoritarianism, internationalism, autonomy, direct democracy, ecology, self-organization, solidarity, anti-fascism, anti-neoliberalism, anti-nationalism, atheism, equality, and freedom. Good evening. Welcome to the Anarchy Show, Subversion 1312. We had a little discussion about the joke going around or perhaps also seriousness that that people, uh, Australians, are going to be heading over to New Zealand by the thousands or millions because of the election result, which saw the coalition get back in in what was thought to be an unwinnable election for Scott Morrison. And uh, I would say that no matter who won, and this is what I was going to say anyway, no matter who won, I was going to say the fight is in the streets, the fight is all the time, 365 days a year, not just during the election and people needn't give up now and and go oh well you know we've got another three years of of this no we have to get out in the streets still once again and keep fighting in light of that i'm going to play the submedia piece on direct action because direct action gets the goods my name's linda uh, I, I received some sad news just before I came into the station tonight. Magnus McTavish, local musician and artist, has passed away. And I want to play a song of his now. Of course, I want to give my sincere condolences to all his friends and family, and especially his mother, Kathleen He was in a band called Vietnam Vets with Tourette's and has to be one of the best names ever for a band. And they have a song on the Subiesta compilation, the Straight Out of Brisbane compilation, Straight Out of Brisbane 2. And it is called, gosh, Sub Poo.
many hicks roll slick around my station Too much money into the mix is plain dangerous Two-year-olds in Gucci and Prada, it seems strange But two incomes leaves a lot of cash that gets in the way So pay your entry fees, country club, golfing green And make the scene, but that still don't mean That you compose with the clothes and your upturned nose job Your face half melts when I'm spraying the hose on it Disposable income and lifestyle shows, yo You got a lot and I think I know where it all goes Gosh, gosh, gosh all these hicks in this town think they're posh. Gosh, gosh, but gosh. All these hicks in this town think they're posh. Too many hicks with big paychecks. Run my neighborhood. Out with the old and hit the black. Many people hoping they get paid Making lots of money at the end of the day But the hicks rule the town in crazy fucking ways All they wanna do is get fucking lazy Play a bit of squash and work for Microsoft And do all the things that make lots of dosh But all we care about is smoking lots of dope And hoping that we can cope with copious amounts of dope Cause you know that's the quote that we go with today Smoke a lot and make a little yeah, that goes for politicians too. Where to mark with the buttercup shut? I'm keeping them cut, cause I pick up full black to Laker. You probably think I'm a Ricky Lake taker, but I'm after the big ass, and that's how I shake her. Dangerous, it seems strange, but into the mix is plain dangerous. And lifestyle shows your pose with the clothes and your upturned nose. You got a lot, roll slick when they spray in the hose. Yeah, peace to the world. Big cake traps, skittles, body baths. I'm doing this thing because I like to do my naps. Like I remember the crazy angels from above that used to take acid pills and puff. Lids of weed, stills of beans. Doing this thing like it was ill demon speed. Make the scene. Lids of weed, stills of beans. This thing like it was black even speed Cause I feel those thrills from the back of days Hold the place, you know as I got the crazy ways Cause I love my land, love my passe Drap, skiddly, bad Hey, crazy folks to Drap, skiddly, bad I'm doing this thing because I like to do my maths I'm gonna apologize for that though I'm meant to be at the weekend today Typing your box. Never want to try to be something I'm not. I'm just a nigga from the block. If you got it twisted, stay blowing on green. If you got it twisted on up, DP's giving a fuck. RBG'd up and some gangster chucks. Throw your fists up, homie, if you know what's up. All my comrades putting in soldier work. We rolling dirty with it. Fully dedicated. So real at the radio and never play it. But that's cool. The enemy's supposed to hate it. Freedom ain't gonna come till we regulate them. That's why I'm in the dojo. Not just for the video. Really, though, we really got beef with the bobo. Never know when they gonna put you in a chokehold. This is for you new niggas holding for the radio. Turn off the radio. Turn off that bullshit. Turn off the radio. Turn off that bullshit. Turn off the radio. Turn off that bullshit. Turn off the radio. People's radio. Yo, hang up. That's police. What's on the radio? Propaganda. Mind control. And turning it on is like putting on the blindfold. Because when you bring in the real, you don't get rotation. Let you take over the station. And yeah, I know it's part of their plans. 
Them niggas think it's all about party and dancing. You it might sound good when you spin your rap, but in reality, don't nobody live like that. You wanna know what kind of nigga I am? Let me tell you about the nigga I'm not. I don't fuck with the cops. Platinum don't mean that it gotta be hot. I ain't gotta love it even if they play it a lot. You can hear it when you walk the streets. How many people they reach? How to use music to teach a radio program ain't a figure speech. Don't sleep, cause you could be a radio freak. Freak, turn off y'all. the radio. Turn off that bullshit. Turn off the radio. Turn off that bullshit. Turn off the radio. Radio. People's radio. You on the air? I got a fat chain. I got a fat whip. I got a fan. Nigga, get off that bullshit. Crank up your speakers, your woofers, and your tweeters. Turn up your receivers. We bang it off the meter. Crank up your speakers, your woofers, and your tweeters. Y'all gonna get blackballed. Nigga, what? Nigga, get these blackballed. In your mail. You just heard Dead Prez and Radio Freak. And before that, Vietnam Vets with Tourette's and Gosh Soup Poo. And the first song was uh, sorry, with, with Magnus McTavish, who unfortunately passed away, we found out today. And that Dead Prez song, Magnus and I talked about that song and loved that song, bonded over that song. So that one goes out to Magnus. Tonight, we're talking about Larry Davis. Have you heard of Larry Davis? His story really has to be one of the greatest cases of resistance to the police state ever. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's We just heard the trailer for a forthcoming film about Larry Davis. It's called The Larry Davis Project. I spoke to one of the producers today, and if I am decoding the Hollywood speak correctly, the filming is going to kick into gear in November. The project website is the Larry Davis Project dot com and it's looking pretty good. It's about hip hop too. The story of Larry Davis is also a story of hip hop. 
When he became a symbol of resistance in New York in the 1980s, he became a black folk hero, an urban legend, because he fought back at a time when African Americans were being killed by white police officers. That quote is from Mr. Kuby, who was a junior member of his defense team. Davis was from New York, and at the age of 15, the African-American male was coerced into a life of crime by the NYPD. According to David and his defense, the New York Police Department had engaged Davis to sell drugs for them. At the age of 18, Davis had a change of heart and decided to swill details about the extent of the corruption in the Bronx 41st Precinct, also known as Fort Apache. The police then resorted to silence Davis by staging a raid at the residence where he was located. Their story was that he was wanted for the murder of suspected drug dealers. The house belonged to his sister and there were children present when they stormed in without a warrant and basically immediately opened fire. Subsequently, the media frenzy that followed was a result of the shootout at the resident and a 17-day manhunt of Davis. Six police officers were hit by gunfire during the shootout. He was on the run, as I said, for almost three weeks. Eventually, he negotiated his surrender with the FBI. The Davis case is interesting because it demonstrates the involvement of police in distributing drugs. The way the media sensationalize and frame people as guilty without trial and what happens to someone once they get on the wrong side of the police. Larry Davis was murdered by a fellow inmate in 2008 and some say he was about to do a tell-all interview in the process of writing a book. So I put together from a video on Facebook called The Larry Davis Story. I've put together a piece which I'm going to play now. For Larry Davis to do that incredibly brave, incredibly audacious act, say, I'm not going to be a victim. You're not going to go to church and cry over my body because I'm going to make sure that I walk out of this. It was just, it was phenomenal. This story is about police, about the criminal justice system, and about the communities they're supposed to protect. This story is about Adam Abdul Hakim who was just one of hundreds of teenagers involved in a cocaine ring run by a few corrupt police officers in the South Bronx. I want to say that it is an honor to have both you brothers on deck because of the fact that a lot of times folks talk about folks and in third and fourth and fifth person and they never knew him it's like they they read a book or whatever and that that's an unfortunate thing especially in the so-called movement these days you get a cat that could tell you everything it is to know about what he read about somebody but the folks who actually know the story and was there they don't know too much about it you know what i'm saying i mean or they don't they don't get that recognition paradise what's happening family i we we're we gonna we're gonna start it off with hey, you tonight cool what up Hey, man, I want to start off with you tonight, man. You know, we talk about Larry Davis. Who is Larry Davis to you? Oh, man, Larry was my little brother, man. Just like Shams was, you know what I'm saying? 
you know, uh, Larry was a good dude, man. You know, everybody, you know, have their preconceived notions of who he was and what he was about. But, you know, to me, Larry was a humble dude. You know what I'm saying? Very strong and powerful from a young age. So he was very physically intimidating to a lot of punk. Go ahead, Dice. You want to get that, Shams? Nah, man. Larry wasn't out there selling drugs until the police, Crazy Joe and them crooked-ass cops from the 44th Precinct in the Bronx and the hybrid section forced Larry to sell crack. You know what I'm saying? We didn't believe in selling crack to our own people back then. Back then in our hood, you know, they had to ship in a whole bunch of Jamaicans and Dominicans for crack to even come out in our hood. Mm. The people out there wouldn't even sell it. You know what I'm saying? And one of our homeboys, little Melly Mel, we call, his name was Miles, they found him floating in the river with handcuffs yeah. on. Wow. You know what I mean? And one That's day, you know, Larry, 14, 15 years old, the police grabbed him, throw him in the back of the police car. Like, yo, you see that backpack in the back seat? Open it. He opens the backpack up. It's full of drugs. They gave him an ultimatum. Either they find you floating in the river, or we take you downtown and look what we found you with. Or you get the hell out of our car and have our money for us in two weeks when we come back. Hmm. You know, so Larry didn't choose to be no drug dealer. You know what I'm saying? He had no choice. They chose Larry because he was one of the most intimidating forces on the street as a street fighter. And mm. he had a little crew around him, and nobody really wanted it with Larry. So he was like the perfect one to get their drugs off of them without getting killed or getting ripped off. Wow. So so basically, it was um, like in most cases in the black community, and I'm, I'm glad you said that, Paradise, because of the fact that when, when when I say something like that, it's like some big conspiracy theory. You know what I'm saying? Because we all know the communities that we came from, especially coming up in the 80s, that there was always some crooked-ass cops who was out there pushing guns, who was pushing drugs, you Look. know, whether it was coke, dope, whatever. Look, when Larry told me that story, I did not leave Larry when he told me that. And then one day he called me, he asked me if I would take a ride with him on the motorcycles because these crooked cops wanted to take him for a ride to Atlantic City and he didn't want to go by himself because he thought that they might kill him and leave him on the side of the road. So I was like, yeah, right. He was like, nah, for real, Dice, come with me. You know what I mean? And I rode with him and we definitely was accompanied by about 12 older white men riding on Harleys and it was all armed. And I know that for a fact because I rode back from Atlantic City with one of them because Larry's bike was breaking down and he couldn't carry me back. Mm. So I rode with one of the cops back. And he had a big old gun right on his right hip the whole time. I was looking right at it. So I definitely met a bunch of crooked cops that Larry was dealing with, and I rode with them to Atlantic City. Word. Listen, listen, a lot of people... A lot of people, you know, because this shit sound like movie shit and all that. And you got people that run around this and that because they ain't live that life like that. You know what I'm saying? Facebook make everybody gangster. Facebook make everybody whoever the fuck they want to be. Right. But this is real shit right here. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, you got to take into account that we was little dudes. We was young. Dice was young. L was young. I was young. You know what I'm saying? But this is... 
for real, before the DVDs, the movies, and the shit y'all know about and y'all talk about, this shit was really going on. So when you, you say when you say y'all was young, mm-hmm. because of the fact that again, and I'm glad because that was one of my next questions. When you say you were young, I mean like what 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 is young? What was young? Yo, listen, we was 13, 14, 15. Now we in our 40s right now. Yep, yep. But just think about your kid that's 13, 14, and 15. Right. Can you picture them doing the shit we was doing? Living like we was doing. Fuck all this shit you see going on now. Right. But just really think about the kids mm-hmm. you got, the kids in your family. You know what I'm saying? And picture them having to negotiate with motherfucking police that's telling you, yo, you're going to do what we tell you to do. Otherwise, it's a done deal, nigga, for you and your family. You know what I'm saying? We talking real shit right here. All this stuff I see around a lot of times in the music, whatever, the, wherever you want to take it. I'm like, get the fuck out of here with that. It's cartoons. It's cartoons. His ordeal began when he decided to break the code of silence and intimidation that prevails in his neighborhood. Since the night a group of police officers came to assassinate him, he's been hunted and incarcerated. Frequent beatings in prison have left him paralyzed from the waist down. Law and order in our communities is more like fear in order because the police don't actually police our neighborhoods like they're in protection of the people. They police our neighborhoods in a sense of surveillance and a sense of harassment. What he did says a lot. And it says a lot because there was times when a black man would never think about doing something like that. Some people just figure me as one out of a million who have who hasn't died of police brutality or police assassination to like Eleanor Bumps or Michael Stewart. So they figure me as one who survived. Do you see yourself as a role model for black kids? Well, I, I'm not trying to teach no black kids to, to go around shooting police. I'm not trying to teach them nothing like that. That's, that's not the case here. The case is self-defense. When you're on the run from the police, you got two options. Turn yourself in. Oh. Come on, fast. The chase ain't over, the battle ain't done yet. Get your ass out of town before sunset. Bullshit yourself, got you running for help. You're getting struck in my mind and still tucked under the belt. I'm running dead or alive, but I'm still standing. This time Shannon, got the van with the cannon. When I hit even a nine or the pound spins, I even flipped on a mob I was down with. So I'm packing the Mac at night. And blue and white, so everywhere in the nigga sight. So come on, you little pigs of the ravers. Cause I'ma spit on your ass like Larry Davis. Bumping them off something decent. Drove by slow and dropped the cocktail. Bomb in a precinct and drop 10 with the Glock 10. I made another cop spin. Now Uncle Sam really wants me, but I'ma hit some more spots than I'm flying out the country. It ain't about running off like a sucker. I dug my own grave out, this motherfucker. So I gotta hustle and gamble. But before I split, believe I'm leaving shit in shambles. It's a long plane ride, but a nigga gotta survive. I'm still want a dead or alive. To a deli Was in the belly of the beast Now the beast is in my belly I gotta get up more loot 
Time to throw back on the army suits, the Timberland boots. Blast got the niggas from the East New York scene. I got my man C with me for four queens. I can pull decreated GMP, my man EP. Ready to pill caps like potatoes. Kevin Ocanelli's on the lookout. Up in the spot, niggas are crooked down a cookout. There goes a brain, there goes a liver. Ain't no time for dumping niggas in a river. I ain't looking you niggas no more. It's time for the chainsaw. Off with the lace, arms ahead later. And throw the shit down in the incinerator. Then I'm off with the drugs and ends. Now it's time to get some motherfucking revenge. To the nigga that stuck me in jail. I sent his mama's fingers to him in the mail. Brought up with his ass inside the 10th floor hall. Painted the motherfucking walls. Never mind having balls, you niggas better duck and dive. We still want a dead or alive. Straight going out like a gunner Because a niggas want it I'm even hunted by bounty hunters But I'm spitting up bigger leg They got about a half a million dollar reward on a nigga's head But I murdered the whole crew I saw the spirits leave their bodies And I shot at them bitches too I put the knife to their head, it's so simple Now that's what I call a holy temple You put a nigga to the test But if you fuck with me, then you're fucking with the best I'm wetting niggas in a flea, G The same same fish kill, I'm all I ain't seeing me You're getting sipped up forever Cause if your ass leaks once, then your ass leaks forever To the nigga that threatened my life Went up to his crib, started wetting his wife Nigga hiding in the closet Checked his ass and made a motherfucking deposit Sucker tried to get lost Yeah, we still want a dead or alive in 1987, I first spoke to Adam Abdul-Hakim, formerly known as Larry Davis. He told me there were certain police officers from the 44th Precinct in the South Bronx who were running a drug ring, and that they were using neighborhood kids to deliver the drugs for them. He said that he and his friend, Ricky Burgos, were blackmailed into working for the police when Adam was 14. Two detectives tried to persuade them to deliver drugs for them. When Adam refused, he was beaten up. The detectives also threatened to hurt members of his family if he didn't cooperate. They pulled us over on a, a motorbike. And when they pulled us over, they had uh, told myself and Burgess that we were going to jail because we have license for the motorbike. We had got stopped by the police. Um, officers named Crazy Joe and Sullivan. They had stopped us in the streets. They pulled us in the car. They rode us around the block. They was talking to us. You know, they started asking us a lot of questions about what's going on around this neighborhood and everything and who's selling drugs. So we was like, we don't know what you're talking about. And Adam, Larry was talking about, were you trying to set us up or all this and that? So we, was, so we wanted to leave out the car. You know, so they were just telling us they could make things easy on us. You know, so anyway, and Larry said, I don't know what you're talking about. We want to go. So they said, we can make easy, things easy on you. Just take this number and um, call us and, you know, and y'all could do things for us. And I said, man, I don't know how to sell drugs. And then at that time, they had given, they, I, I said, I don't know how to sell. They said, you're going to either do this or you're going to, you know, he had the gun in his hand. He said, you're going to either do this or you're going to die. And so I said, listen, okay, what I'll do is I'll get somebody to sell them and I'll give you the profits. That time, when I gave them back the, 30, the 35 plus the money they had for the drugs, they, uh, they had told me that um, I owed them more money. They said, you owe me five more thousand. I said, for what? I just gave you 35000 plus the extra money you had, they said, for taking so long. So that's how I got initially involved in the whole situation.
When he was 19, Adam did one last deal for the police. Then he quit. For his own safety, he decided he would turn the cops into the FBI. But first, he went into hiding at his sister's apartment. What led up to the events of November 19, 1986, the great police Larry Davis shootout, uh, was a history of Larry having a relationship with certain police officers in the Bronx, by which he would sell drugs for them, and then he would give the proceeds and get a commission for his work. He decided to get out of that line of work, and therefore uh, the police were apparently very upset that he was leaving the fold, and also there was some contention, as Larry told this to me, that he owed them money. And therefore, they, a number of the police officers, two of them in any event, went to see his mother on October 30th of 1986. They just switched in the house, and I said, well, what do y'all want? They said, we want Larry. Where is he? I said, I don't know. So he says, uh, you know where he is. That's your son. You know what you raised? You raised a dirty, dirty bastard. That's what you raised. I said, well, you find that dirty bastard then if you're going to call him all the names. So he said, you tell him he's going to get a bullet right before his forehead. And he was pointing at my head then. Right before his forehead. He said, you hear what I say? And he all often just pushed me around on my shoulder. That's wild. That's wild. Again, you listen to Contraband Classified. Now, we taking it to November 19th. November 19th. We're here with my man Shams the Bear. We got Paradise Gray from X-Clan on the line. And we talking about Larry Davis, the hood legend, Mr. Larry Davis. Okay, boom. So, again, November 19th, what led to that? Um, boom, we got the coercion piece. We, we got the fact that, you know, that, that he was nice with his hands and he's beatboxing and all that. But what happened? You got to be specific on the question. The question is, what led to, led the police, these crooked bastards... I think it was nine of them to come to his sister crib and try to take him out. Twenty-five all together. It was it was it was actually thirty cops. Twenty-five. It was thirty cops. All right. Some of them, uh, about twenty-five of them, as Dice is telling you, comprise of the ESU unit, which is the emergency service unit. Right. That's the New York equivalent to SWAT. In New York City, we don't have SWAT. Right. We have the ESU. That's so you got 25 cops that are affiliated or that's part of the emergency service unit. That's like SWAT. Okay. All right. And the rest are detectives that um, are basically these detectives dealt with Larry as far as you know the streets is concerned. You know what I'm saying? What led to it, basically, and I'm not going to go deep, 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 but what led to it, basically, in a nutshell, is, you know, Larry's decision to say, I'm not going to sell no drugs for the police. Hmm. I'm going to switch my shit up. I'm going to go legit. I'm going to focus on this music shit. When they realized that they top money seller was getting out the game and ain't trying to do nothing, they put a hit out on him. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, before any of y'all knew about all this, you know what I'm saying? We understood what it was. You know what I'm saying? We got the word. We knew what it was. And so, Larry 
had to move a different way. And, and you know, I mean, you know, I can't go into the detail, detail. Right. But the bottom line is they put the hit out and, you know, we was about to make a move, whatever the case is. And then, you know what I'm saying, shit got sour and it culminated into the shootout. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. It came after him. But the bottom line is they didn't like the fact that he was trying to get out of the game. He was trying to leave that shit alone. It all began on a dark November night, the 19th, when a team of police officers assembled outside a Bronx tenement. They believed Larry Davis was harbored in the apartment of another sister, and they wanted him for questioning in the slang of four reputed drug dealers in late October. The police, police said that the ostensible cause of the raid was that Larry was wanted for the murder of the drug dealers, and that's why they went there to arrest him. There was no warrant. We found out later they had actually um, never even been officially granted leave to go there in any way whatsoever. Um, and it's clear they were on the premises for one reason, and that was to carry out a death. They were in a big hurry, and they got there, and they were running when they got out of the cars. And they literally ran in. And as they ran in, they were loading the shotguns and loading the rifles. They were running. They just dove out of their cars and ran into the building. Apparently, they, they wanted to leave real quick. So all I managed to speak to was a, a lieutenant there. So I says, well, well, you want us to enter the door? You got a warrant. He said, uh, there was no warrant. We'll knock on the door. And if he doesn't come out, we'll, uh, we'll see if we can bullshit our way in or maybe talk him out. And I was sat and I heard a knock at my door. While I was talking on the phone, and um, I didn't bother to ask to say who is it. I just said come in, and the door just flew open, and like 30 policemen came through. 20 to 30 policemen came through. Everything just went so crazy. Well, the way they came in, I never seen nothing happen like that. I never knew they could just come in your house with gun guns pointing right in your face. They said when they're in the courts, they said they, they didn't come in there. There's only three of them. And I said, something is wrong because I know, I know, I know how to count. <laughs> I said, it was like 20 to 30 of them. Why aren't they telling the truth? When I walked into the lobby, I got like two steps into the lobby when the, the apartment door opened. And I saw the detective. He did one of these. Freeze. So he started yelling. And I heard a woman start screaming. She was screaming like crazy the detective ran right in the apartment there was no way to stop he just took off we had to go in you had to go in after the detective now i didn't know what he had they burst through the door and uh <clears throat> came directly towards the back room in which i was in uh and uh they asked me where was the money i told them it was on the uh table and that uh, it, which it was in the suitcase and they, I said, don't shoot in here, there's kids in here. And they fired a slug directly towards my head. I had a gun stashed in my sister's room and I picked the gun up and returned fire. McCarran ran down the hall. McCarran fired this shot at Larry with a shotgun that he was carrying, which they later tried to deep six and not have in his hands. But one of the other cops slipped and said he had seen him with a shotgun earlier that day. Um, he fired the first shot. He then missed. He then backed out. Larry, at this point, is shooting, 
shooting back, and in typical, I must say, fashion of all uh, bullies, uh, they then panicked, and they then could not hit the broadside of a barn. After that, they returned at least two rounds of uh, bullets. Uh, they had pumps, uh, look like M16s, and uh, uh, all kind of revolvers. And, uh, I mean, they wouldn't stop shooting for nothing. The officers began to fire wildly. Bullets went all over the place. Uh, there was a recovery of scores of bullets. The police didn't even recover one half the bullets. Our experts found many more lodged in the uh, walls or doors or what have you. One of the police officers fired at him, and a slug missed his head again and crashed into the lock on another sister's apartment next door, sprung the lock so he could get around into her apartment, which opened on a courtyard where there were no police and where there were no bars on the windows. So he jumped out into the courtyard, over the wall, and got away. We do Bob The meeting had a tremendous effect on the case, obviously. I mean, they, they made him out to be a mad dog, a, a crazed gunman uh, hiding in the bowels of the South Bronx. They ran into a hail of gunfire when they tried to arrest a man wanted for four murders. He gunned them all down and got away. Because of the arsenal of weapons Davis is known to carry with him, at least a shotgun and a forty-five. Well, now Davis is accused of trying to kill again. His target this time, six police officers. He gunned them down last night, jumped out a window in the South Bronx, and is on the run. And police knew when they came to the scene to, to deliver a, search, a warrant for the arrest of a man who was wanted for four murders. They knew they were dealing with a bad guy to begin with. After the shootout, Adam went into hiding with acquaintances in the South Bronx. He was afraid of retaliation from the police, so he negotiated his surrender with the FBI. They came up and they put a bulletproof shield up against the door, and I negotiated my own surrender. I told them I, I'm, I, I'm willing to surrender, but I'm not going to come walking out, y'all, and just fool me up with bullets. I said the only person I went out in the hands of was the FBI. He actually engineered his own surrender in the full light of the press. He knew if the media was there that uh, what would happen is that the police would not be able to vent their anger in him. He might have wound up on page 62 instead of a headline because he decided to fight. And see, that's another thing the authorities can't handle. 
because they don't know what kind of example he set. And that is something that, they, that the system does not want to linger in the minds of many of these young people who have already come to the conclusion that they're not afraid to die. But now they come to another conclusion that even beyond that, they're not afraid to fight for their lives. What now, Captain? Because he's acting more like a man and not the boy who fell a victim to this boy. Adam faced two trials. The first was for the murders of four drug dealers in the South Bronx. According to police, this was why they came to arrest him in the first place. The second trial was for the attempted murders of six police officers who were wounded when they raided his sister's apartment. It was always our contention they never wanted to try the cop shooting case. They really didn't want the dirty laundry to come out. Because they knew in the police case, all of what I'm telling you will come out. 22 officers on the raid, no blacks on the raid, the fact he'd been threatened by the police three weeks earlier, uh, the fact that they shot the first bullet into the back. They thought if they tried the drug dealer's case first, that there wouldn't be all these tensions and all these problems. Get him convicted there or get him killed before that they'd be out of the woods. Well, it didn't turn out that way. The first jury acquitted him of the murders of the four drug dealers, thus forcing them to try the second case, which was the police shootout case. You have the emergence in human society of this is basically a concept that, that has to do with the loyalty and fealty that one cop has for the other and that no matter how heinous the crime a brother officer may commit, the other officers are going to be silent about it or are going to cover it up. In this case, we put forth that not all of these cops came in to kill Larry, that this was not a concerted effort on the part of 30 different cops to kill him but that certainly there were ringleaders. What the jury could surmise was that they made up a scenario and they all stuck to it. I'm not saying they got in the back room and they said, hey, we are going to say blah, 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 blah. It doesn't have to work that way. It only takes like one or two saying, this is the this is what happened. Mary looked Daddy, at me when she, she got Daddy shot. I don't see the gun come out. Yeah, oh, I can tell you, shot, I saw that gun. And he shot, he said he hit the door jam. Yeah. You know, the wall next well, I was shooting at it, too. Yeah. I, I was shooting at it, too. Right yeah, it's the only target you have. fired another shot, and then he said, the third time he went to shoot, he said, the detective stood up in front of him and said, fuck it. Every single one of them testified unequivocally that Larry fired first. Absolutely. When the ballistics evidence that we developed said just the opposite. They said they never entered the, the hallway down that room to, to towards the room and, and shot down that hallway, which was a lie. Forensic uh, experts, scientific experts that came in, had a laser gun, and he showed how and what angles that gun was shot from and what distance. And it, it showed clearly that he was in that hallway, and they claimed that they never was in that hallway. I said to the jury, I said, if you believe they lied about that, you can believe they lied about anything else in this case. It was the crucial question. Who fired the first shot?
Even though Adam had no prior criminal record, he was given a 5 to 15 year prison sentence for illegal possession of weapons, guns that he claims the police gave to him in the first place. While he's been incarcerated, Adam has been subjected to numerous beatings, and in one of these beatings his spine was injured. He's now paralyzed from the waist down. Bernard Getz, who shot two unarmed teenagers on a New York subway, served two months in jail for the same conviction. Central booking. Things are fucked up the way my future's looking. But I'm too fly, I'ma change this scenario. Make some power moves and tighten up my bankroll. Chubs are levy though. They see me as a threat. I'm like the black Dutch Schultz when you get me upset. 5-0 makes me wanna flip. Larry Davis style got a nigga depressed while he's awaiting trial. It's okay though, cause from gray skies come blue. Through darkness comes light and I'll be known as the guru. And this I certify, we all should be alerted by the traps within the system. Our youth is getting murdered by the DA says they got me on a felony. I'm trying to live my life, so what the fuck is you telling me? The streets are war, that's what brothers carry weapons for. And I take the weight as I did before. The next thing you know, they got me on the radio. A rapper arrested, suckers showing me on video. Of course I know that I'm a role model. But yo, this rap life is real life, sometimes it's full throttle. Right now I gotta think about me, fuck the industry, you get no love, except those who support me. What's the story? What happened when I went to L.A.? Mixing shit up, knowing out there I got family. Nothing happened. Mind your business, yo, step. You know we connect JFK to LAX. They want to lock us all up and throw away the key. Don't want to see us come up. Don't want to see us making G's. Long as we know this is the key to our destruction, let's make moves, no discussion. Peace to my man Haas, an orange man paying the cost. All the 25 to life is all my brothers getting tossed into the system, supposed to rehabilitate. That's why you gotta regulate your own mind state. Read, study lessons, and build your inner power. The next level doesn't tolerate college. For example, I know this rich Nigerian, powerful American that's proud to be an African. He asked me why do all us brothers be getting trapped. I told him I'd explain it, broke it down in a rap. Whether you got naps, braids, waves, or no hair, without esteem for yourself, nigga, you're going nowhere. And you can swagger like you're rude as Josie Wales. Unorganized revolt almost always mostly fails. Give up the savage ways, be effective soldiers. To elevate the mental is to be poor no more. There's war in the streets, prepared men know best. I rhyme as live as a guest, JFK to LAX. They're always making trouble, y'all, against the righteous. Killing us in cold blood, those beasts, those vipers. And as I sit, feeling the pain in my wrist, I vow to myself that I'ma change this shit. Or at least I gotta try, or part of me will die. And only by action will any idea solidify. So I inhale, exhale as I ponder. This grown man will make mistakes no longer. I've been there, I've seen how they make us fall victim to their technology. With no apology, I diss them. And so I rip facts to dope cracks I caress. You're gonna hear about it from JFK to LAX. Their goal is to see if they can convict me of a, a sentence that they can send me upstate and hope that everybody forget that I exist and then murder me. 
so that I will never see the street again or, or, or to be able to talk about. Because once I'm upstate, they don't give me phone calls. I have been up there and I have been tortured in Comstock Prison. Uh, uh, and and uh, Attica also dragged all around, dragged all around the institution, and they locked me in a cell, and I have not committed no act, and they locked me down 24 hours around the clock. Don't deprive me of phone calls. Only way, only way you're able to con contact my people is to uh, uh, write a letter, and how I am not able to do that because uh, I write the letter, and they will take. Uh, the mail and uh, tamper with the mail and uh, not uh, let it, my mail will never reach my people. After his arrest, Adam was mysteriously connected and charged with four unsolved murders of drug dealers in the Bronx. The murders had occurred prior to 1986. According to Adam, the charges are false and witnesses have been paid to testify against him. By 1990, Adam had been on trial in two murder cases and one attempted murder case. Juries found him innocent in all three trials. In 1991, he was tried for the fourth time in yet another murder case. Although several of the jurors admitted that negative press had biased them against him, the judge allowed them to serve on the jury. Adam was found guilty and given a 25-year prison sentence. There's a perspective that says the police department is always right. White side is always right. And if he's a black man, he must have been wrong. One of the biggest frustrations that I had as an editor, as a reporter during that four-year tenure was coming to the realization that the mainstream white press in this city and not only in this city, but across the country, is very, very much involved. Of what police will say and what newspapers will write about what police say regarding blacks. They don't tell the whole truth. They don't tell uh, what people need to know so they can make intelligent and informed decisions about a particular case. The media had a campaign to slander him, to make it look like he was a, some kind of a uh, urban terrorist. And they don't like the fact that I exposed the, the, them the way I did. They don't like that. that you know, so, and, and they want to make the public believe that I was guilty of something to justify their actions. You can send me to no man's land and lock my temple away for life. The spirit that I possessed on November of 1986 lived for life. It's been 16 years in this prison, and Allah has kept me strong. From time to time, my body gets weak, my mind stays strong. I have come to see that I am the master of my destiny, and Allah is the only one set me free. Black kids. Uh, I, I'm not trying to teach my black kids to go around shooting. 
police. I'm not trying to teach them nothing like that. That's, that's not the case here. The case is self-defense. But defense attorney Ron Kuby says Bronx residents knew about the corruption Davis spoke about. Larry Davis became a symbol of resistance, a focus, fighting back. Still, Davis was convicted of weapons possession in the case, and at the time he was killed, he was serving a 30-year-to-life sentence for murdering a drug dealer. That life sentence ended Wednesday night when he was stabbed several times with a 9-inch metal shank at the Shawangunk Correctional Facility upstate. Another inmate has been charged in the killing. And that was the end of that piece I put together about Larry Davis. And, in fact, you can go to the 4ZZZ website for zzz.org.au and check out the Subversion Anarchy Show Subversion 1312 page. And there's information there about it including the the a link to to that YouTube video and the the other that I put in there from a radio show that was called Remembering Larry Davis and the the radio show was called Contraband Classified but that's also on YouTube it is time for the end of the Anarchy show I'm just going to play this quick piece on direct action from Submedia. And if you go to Submedia, sub.media, then you can watch the whole of that and many, many other things. So here we go. What is direct action? What is the best remedy to a bad government? Direct action is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot when describing anarchist tactics. And rightly so, since it's one of the main ways anarchists put our values of autonomy, self-organization, and mutual aid into practice. So, what is it exactly? Well, a simple definition would be to say that direct action is a political action aimed at achieving a specific goal or objective, and which is carried out directly by an individual or group of people without appealing to a higher authority for legitimacy. Now, this broad definition covers a huge range of activities, everything from banner drops to prison breaks, and it doesn't necessarily tell us much about the politics of those carrying out the action itself. Direct actions are tactics, meaning that they are a specific type of action that can be used to implement a wide variety of strategies. While you don't have to be an anarchist in order to carry out or to participate in a direct action, the concept itself holds a special importance for anarchists and other anti-authoritarian radicals. And that's because well-timed and well-executed direct actions can offer an escape from the endless cycle of representational politics, which assumes its highest form in the state. The German philosopher Max Weber famously defined the state as a monopoly on the legitimate use of physical force. In other words, state violence, whether dispensed by a politician's pen, a judge's gavel, or a cop's baton, is a manifestation of legitimate force and a harsh reminder of the state's role as the ultimate mediator of social conflict. This mandate includes everything from interpersonal disputes that end up settled in the courts or by someone calling the cops, all the way up to the broader conflicts that spring from systemic inequality and the structural imbalances inherent to capitalism, colonialism, white supremacy, ableism, and heteropatriarchy. In its purest form, direct action does not aim to persuade those in power, but seeks to foster and assert the power of those carrying out the action themselves. When people carry out a direct action, they are rejecting the state's monopoly on decision-making and asserting their own autonomy 
while providing an example for others to follow. To take just one example, rather than petitioning a politician to vote against the construction of a pipeline or appealing to state-controlled regulatory bodies, those who favor a direct action approach often find it more effective and empowering to go and block the pipeline themselves directly. Direct action can also be used to set up networks of mutual aid. 50 years ago, the Black Panthers were faced with the reality of widespread poverty and lack of service provision in their communities. Rather than appealing to the government or the conscience of white America, the Panthers set to work organizing their own health clinics and breakfast programs for hungry school children. These programs were part of a broader strategy of building community power and were identified by FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover as a primary threat to national security, by which he meant a threat to the legitimacy of the state and the white supremacist power structure that upholds it. Because they transgress the official channels of politics and often the law itself, direct action campaigns are inevitably met with a whole toolbox of tactics aimed at bringing conflicts back under state control. These can range from state and corporate-funded nonprofits infiltrating and co-opting grassroots movements in order to force a change in tactics or leadership, all the way up to extreme repression such as mass incarceration and targeted assassinations carried out by state and paramilitary forces. Although, as a concept, direct action has probably existed for as long as there have been hierarchies to rebel against, the term itself dates back to the early workers' movement, where it was used to describe militant practices such as industrial sabotage and wildcat strikes. By physically blocking production and collectively defending themselves from repression, workers were able to force concessions from their capitalist masters. The widespread use of these tactics eventually led to the legalization of trade unions and a whole host of concessions aimed at bringing the more radical sections of the workers' movement back under state control. One of the most significant heydays of direct action in modern history took place in 1970s Italy. Faced with a housing crisis provoked by capitalist restructuring of the economy, thousands of migrants from the country's south squatted apartment blocks and physically defended families from eviction. When the government attempted to hike transit fares and energy costs, tens of thousands of people refused to pay the increased rates in collective actions known as auto reductions. Italy was, at that time, a deeply religious, conservative, and rigidly patriarchal country in which both abortion and divorce were illegal. Within this context, a fearless women's liberation movement organized an underground network of clinics with doctors and nurses providing hundreds of volunteers with the necessary skills to perform clean and safe abortions. This direct action approach to reproductive health was complemented by massive and regular demonstrations calling for the legalization of abortion, which were ultimately successful. In our current age of increasing polarization, uncertainty, and insecurity, direct action offers a way for our movements to build and assert our collective power, both to defend our communities and to fight for the world we want to live in. Check out Subversion 1312 online. Subversion1312.org Facebook.com forward slash Sub Anarchy Show. On Twitter, Anarchy underscore show. He's gonna choke on his harmonica outputs
and on the 4ZZZ website for zzz.org.au. that violence can be even even applied to the natural environment because we rely upon the natural environment for our survival. But inanimate objects, especially those that are man-made and are used to destroy life, I don't think you can be violent too. I think it's a lot of times more violent to allow them to exist. social process which is known and very visible, but perhaps not acknowledged as much as it should be. It is that one where a new idea, or an old one in new form, is accepted by a minority, while the majority are shouting treason, rubbish, kook, communist, capitalist, or whatever is the term of abuse valued in that society. And they develop this idea, at first probably in secrecy or in semi-secrecy, and then more and more visibly, with more and more support, until, guess what? what? This seditious, impossible, wrong-headed idea becomes what is known what? as received opinion and is loved and valued what? by the majority. Conclusion? democracy, the ignorant and meddlesome outsiders, the general population has to be kept from interfering. 
They can be spectators, but not participants. No matter how much legal action you put behind this, people are going to do what they want to do. Spectators, but not participants. It's time to talk about censorship. Send this song to 20 people. But isn't it stealing? At your name, don't break the cycle. From people to people. Pass it along. People like MP3s. Pass it along. about trying this future on for size. Well, it's one for the money. Spectators, but not participants. <laughs>